the God of God. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2 this morning. Daniel chapter 2. We could search all the great accomplishments in human history. We could look at all the innovators and scientists who discovered various things throughout the ages. We could look at all the record breakers and emperors. But no one in the world nor in human history can match with our God. Daniel and his three friends are far away from home and experiencing the beginning of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. They're trying to be faithful in a faithless culture as we looked at in chapter 1. And the place where they're at, Babylon, is seeking to squeeze them into its mold. But Daniel is bold in the face of pressure. And as we saw two weeks ago, he was unwilling to eat the king's meat. The challenge that Daniel and his three friends face in chapter 2 threatened their very lives. And it is to God alone that they must turn. The same is true for us, that when we have various challenges that threaten our lives, it is to God that we must turn and, and give to Him what belongs to Him, which is control of our lives, and leave the results to Him. So let me begin reading by looking at Daniel chapter 1 and we'll read the first or I'm sorry Daniel chapter 2 we'll read the first 13 verses Daniel chapter 2 This is the word of God Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, you tell me the dream, that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it to the king except gods, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. 
We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 35 this morning. And what we see here is that God alone is the revealer of mysteries. God alone is the revealer of mysteries. We've already seen in chapter 1 that God shows His power by granting Daniel favor before the king. Turn back to chapter 1 and look at verse 18. After Daniel had asked for this special diet of food for himself and the the three friends, and they were proven to be still healthy even though they weren't eating the king's meat. Verse 18, At the end of the days, which the king had specified for, for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and out of them, uh, out of them all, not one was found like Dan- Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the, continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. In chapter 1, we saw that Daniel and his three friends took a stand with regard to the food that they were given to eat. In the process of three years, God prospered them, not only in allowing them to have health, but also He prospered them by making them to be in favor with the king. The king invited them into his personal service. Apparently, all these young boys who were brought in from all over the empire were being trained in the Babylonian way of thinking and living. And some of them apparently didn't make the cut. They didn't make it into the king's personal service. But these four young men did. And not only that, verse 20 tells us that there was no one who was better than them. So they were ten times better than all the other magicians and the conjurers and uh, those who were under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. And so God prospers them to a place where they're above all of their colleagues. So this story really begins in chapter 2. This story in chapter 2 really begins with a foundation that has already been laid in chapter 1. God is putting Daniel and his three friends in a position of influence, and now they're going to get an opportunity to stand before the king again and to speak before him on behalf of God. So God shows His power by granting Daniel and his three friends favor before the king. In chapter 2, verses 1-23, through 23, we see that God shows His power by answering their prayer. By answering their prayer. We see the mystery of the king's dream in verses 1-3. through 3. After three years under the rule of Babylon and two years under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar, he came in to rule actually one year after Daniel and his three friends were exiled there. His father had been the king before him. So now King Nebuchadnezzar has been the king for two years. And they're probably only in his service for a few months when this king has a dream. And this dream is not an ordinary dream like you might have had last night, but a dream where God was actually communicating truth, a message to the king through this dream. It was a message that was to King Nebuchadnezzar unclear and really unhelpful apart from a proper interpretation. And somehow the king knew that this was a message from God. That this was not an ordinary dream. And that's why in verse 3 it says that he was troubled. I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. He understood that there was some significance to what he was seeing, what he had, had, had seen in his dream. And even to the point, as we'll see, that he's willing to kill his most trusted servants 
in order to find out the meaning of this dream. That if you're not going to tell me what it means, what it is actually, and what it means, then you're you're going to die. You're going to be put into a, a rubbish heap. And so because of this troubling dream, he calls all of his gifted interpreters. The wisest men that, that were in the land of Babylon in verses four through thirteen. And the wise men in verses four through seven agree to interpret the dream, but only if the king first tells them the dream. Now you tell me the dream, and then I'll tell you what it means. It's likely that these wise men were much older than King Nebuchadnezzar, and that they had served King Nebuchadnezzar's father for many years as well. And so King Nebuchadnezzar would have learned a lot from them over the years and would have probably respected these men, but now that he's the king, he has rule over them. And these older men are coming to him and saying, listen, this is ridiculous. This is a ridiculous request for us to tell you your dream. No one has ever asked that before. King Nebuchadnezzar said in verses 8-10, through listen, I don't trust you. Now, I want to test your qualifications. If you really know what this dream means, then you'll be able to tell me what the dream is. If you really can determine the interpretation, then you'll know what it is in the first place. And notice how they respond in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Verse 11, Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there's no one else who could declare it to the king except whom? except the gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Do you agree with them? In one sense, they're speaking truth. There is no one who can interpret dreams. There is no one who can reveal dreams. Except one. They say only the gods can do that. But we recognize that there is only one who can do that. This is not just some kind of uh, of gift or skill that someone can come up with determining the 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 uh, the dream of another person without knowing anything about it. We can't do this, and their point is we can't connect, we can't contact any other god who is able to help us in this way. So this is a, an impossible request. And so the king declares in verses twelve through thirteen that they are to die. Fine, if you can't do it. Okay, apparently what happens, because Daniel and his three friends are not here, even though they're part of these magicians, these ones who are wise men, even though they're part of that larger group, apparently what happens is King Nebuchadnezzar brings the best of those, probably the older ones of those, and since they're not able to do it, he assumes that no one else is able to as well. So he sentences all of them to death. In verses 12 and 13. Why such a drastic response? Why such a drastic sentence? I mean, it's just a dream, right? But the king Nebuchadnezzar showed that these wise men were very limited in their power. He saw this dream as real. And he saw a statue like a man crushed to pieces. We'll talk about what that means next week. He probably thought that it had something to do with his kingdom. That that statue somehow represents me and it's being crushed by something, maybe another kingdom. And, and I want to know what that's about and how this affects me. Maybe someone's trying to, to take a plot to assassin me. He wanted to know. He didn't trust these men who were not able to, to reveal the dream to him and interpret it. 
When Daniel finds out about it in verses 14 through 16, he appeals to the captain of the bodyguard. Look at verse 14. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch. So, this edict, this, this uh, sentence has now been passed down to the captain of the bodyguard. Alright, all you wise men, gather together. The king has ordered your death. Daniel asks with this discretion and discernment, verse 14, to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? So apparently, Daniel doesn't even know about this dream at this point. And Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Verse 16, So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. When Daniel finds out about the declaration of the king, he appeals to the captain of the bodyguard who's about to carry out this sentence. It's amazing when you think about Daniel and how unrattled he is in the face of pressure throughout this book. In chapter 1, he was expected to eat the king's meat just like every other young boy. And yet, instead he appeals to the commander there and asks if he could do an alternative. He could eat vegetables instead and not drink the king's wine. In chapter 5, King Belshazzar sees the handwriting on the wall. Do you remember the story? And Daniel is unfazed by the power of the king. He doesn't even seem to fear this man. Instead, he stands before him with boldness and sobriety with a message that carries some serious weight. Hey, God is coming after you. God is coming to judge you. Daniel is unfazed by these pressures that come in the life. In chapter 6, there's a decree that's made and it is sealed. It cannot be reversed that Daniel and anyone in the land is not allowed to pray to the true and living God or any other God. And yet, Daniel is unbothered by it. He doesn't even really record any of his emotions as if this bothers him. He goes right on praying three times a day with the window open like he always did. And he's thrown in to be eaten by the lions and and he prays to God for help, seemingly unfazed by what is great pressure in his life. And here, in in verse 15, when he hears about the sentence of his own death, he calmly asks the question, why is the king ordering the death of us wise men? And then, verse 16, he requests an alternative. Maybe I can talk to the king and get some more time. How is it that Daniel can be so calm in the face of pressure? How is it that we, as Christians, in the face of all the pressures that are, that are around us, whether it be our health or, or our finances or the, the pressures from work or the pressures from our culture, our government, How can we be so calm in the face of pressure? And the answer comes when we see when Daniel actually is. When he actually does fear. When he actually does tremble. And it comes in chapter 10. In chapter 10, Daniel stands before God. And we don't see him as calm as he is before all these other great rulers of the day and before all these other terrifying circumstances that could come on him. Instead, in chapter 10, it says that he had no strength left in him as he stand before the true and living God and his face became pale like a dead man and he fell on his face to the ground. How was it that Daniel 
could avoid, not, not be phased by the pressures of life, even when they came from the greatest rulers of the day. It was because he feared someone greater, didn't he? He trembled before the true and living God. He trembled. He fell on his face before the ground, uh, before God on the ground. You see, Daniel didn't fear the kings ultimately. Certainly, he must have revered them. Certainly, he must have uh, uh, been concerned in some way. But, but ultim- his ultimate fear, his ultimate reverence to, was to the true and living God, recognizing that God was in control over all things. And that's how we should be as well. That we shouldn't be phased by the pressures of life as if the world is coming to an end and God doesn't know about it. But, but we should fear before the true and living God. We should stand and tremble before Him. God says, do you know what the kind of person that I love? The, the one that I love to show favor to? The one who is humble, who is contrite, and who trembles at my what? At my word. God loves when we tremble before Him and recognize Him for who He is. Daniel's ultimate fear was of God, and that's why he could stand before even the greatest of kings and not tremble. So what do we do when there are pressures in life and there's no reasonable answer to life's problems? Okay, Here's the sentence of death coming to Daniel and his three friends. What do we do? Where do we turn? And the answer is found in verses 17-23, through 23, that we turn to God in prayer. Because we know that God is ultimately in control of these things. The king's not in control. The king has limited control. He has finite control in that he's only given what God has given to, to, to that king. He only has what God has given to him. And so the four teenagers, probably around 18 or 19 years old by now, they get together for a prayer meeting in verses 17 to 23. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel informs the three friends about what's going to happen and they go to the only place that they can turn in times of pressure, in times of trouble. When there is no answers, when there are no answers, they go to God. And so they have this prayer meeting. In verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven goes on to say how he blessed him, how he praised God. Now, this prayer meeting was probably not, let's meet for a half hour, we're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed, we'll go back to our places, and we'll go to bed, and I'll let you know how it turn, all turns out. If your life was at stake, do you, think you, do you think that's the kind of prayer meeting that you would have? You'd pray and you'd walk away. No, it probably wasn't that. that they prayed and went to sleep, and then hopefully God reveals to Daniel... This dream and a mystery. Uh, this mystery and a dream. And then in the morning, he tells the three friends, hey, just so you know, we're not going to die. God revealed the dream to me. More likely, they prayed until God revealed the mystery to Daniel. They stayed up as long as it took until God finally revealed it to them. And notice that they didn't just pray to God. God responds. They get what they want and then they just move on with life. No, before they even go to the king, Daniel praises God in verses 20-23. through 23. He praises God for two primary things. See if you can notice them as we read through. Verse 20, Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed or praised forever and ever. 
for wisdom and power belong to Him. It is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is He who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To You, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for You have given me wisdom and power. Even now You have made known to me what we requested of You, and You have made known to us the King's matter. Daniel praises God for two primary things. First, His sovereignty over the greatest human powers. You are the King. You are the one who set up and caused to fall all the kings. Our governors, our leaders do not come into power apart from God's sovereign control. Are you confident of that? God is in control of all these things. He's the one who brought King Nebuchadnezzar to power. He's the one who will bring him down to his knees and eventually cause him to repent. He's the one who sets up all human rulers. He is sovereign over all things, over all kings and all creation. Secondly, Daniel praises him not only for his sovereignty, but also for his wisdom. Second part of verse 21, he gives wisdom to wise men. Verse 22, he reveals the profound things, these mysteries. Verse 23, the second part, for you have given me wisdom and power. So Daniel's praising God not only for your control over all things, but also your wisdom, that God not only do you dispense wisdom, but you are wisdom. That all of wisdom is found in you. So Daniel can trust him. God showed his power by granting Daniel favor before the king. God showed his power by answering their prayer. And then, in verses 24 through 35, we see that God showed his power by revealing the mystery. God showed his power by revealing the mystery. We see that God reveals the mystery in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. And then after Daniel praises God in verses 20 through 23, notice what he says to the captain. Therefore Daniel went in, verse 24, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, Don't kill me. I know the dream. He also does not say, kill all those frauds. Do you remember what the sentence was for anyone who did not know what the dream was? It was that they would die. He did not say, kill all those frauds and give me the blessing that you promised. You promised to exalt me. So do that and kill all them. No, instead he says, verse 24, please don't destroy the wise men. Daniel is constantly thinking about other people. What a noble response. But unlike Daniel, the commander, Arioch, is a man that was concerned very little about other people and more concerned about himself. Notice how he takes this news in verse 25. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him, the king, as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. See what he's doing here? He's taking credit for what Daniel had done. I, I've searched everywhere and I've found this one who can now interpret the dream for you. And Daniel reveals the dream verses 26-35. Notice it initially sounds bleak as we read through verse 28. 
But then Daniel reveals the rest of it. Verse 26, the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, this was the name that the king had given him, it was a Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. This doesn't sound too good right now. You know, nobody can do this, king. You know, those wise men that were talking before, they were right. No wise men could do this. But, verse 28, however, there is a God in heaven reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days and this was your dream and the visions in your mind while you're on your bed as for you O king while on your bed your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future and who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place but as for me this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king. And you may understand the thoughts of your mind. See what Daniel's doing here? Saying God is the revealer of dreams. God is the revealer of mysteries. Very close to what the wise men said. No human can, can tell you what your dream was. No one can do that. Only the gods can do that. Daniel's saying something very similar. No one can do that. Only the true God can do that. And instead of using this as an opportunity to boast and, you know, I've got this direct channel to God and I'm such a good person and you should exalt me. Instead, he says, you know, there's nothing in me that makes me any better than any other wise man. God simply chose to reveal the mystery to me so that you would know, O King, God, for some reason, chose me. This is how we ought to take the message that God has given to us other people, not with any any measure of pride or arrogance on our part that, that we are better than any other pagan that lives next door or we work next to. But God somehow, for some reason, chose us. We can't take the credit for that. We simply are conduits of His mercy. The content of the dream is found in verses 31 to 35. You, O King... You were looking and behold, there was a single great statue. And that statue, which was large and extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you and its appearance was awesome. And the head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. And it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time. And they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain filled the whole earth. So we have this huge statue. Picture this in your mind with a head of gold and the chest and the arms of silver, and the belly and the thighs of bronze. The legs are made of iron, and the feet were made of a mixture of iron and clay. And there is this rock that grows up. It was made from some supernatural source. It was made without hands, according to verse 34. And this rock that grows up from somewhere strikes this huge 
splendor, this huge, extraordinary, splendorous uh, statue, and it breaks it into a million pieces. And this stone that had risen up now becomes so big that it becomes a mountain to fill the whole earth. Daniel reveals. He does the hard part right here. He reveals what the mystery is. He reveals the, the, the content of the dream. Certainly the, the interpretation is probably difficult as well. We'll get to what it means when we look at the, the rest of the text next week. And I would encourage you in preparation for that, you to read the rest of Jan, Daniel chapter 2. Give you a, a good uh, foundation before we come next week. What we learn today is that God alone is the revealer of mysteries. That no one compares to God. There is none like God. Turn to Isaiah chapter 41. A few books towards the front of your Bible. Isaiah chapter 41. In the 8th century B.C., Isaiah was warning Judah about their pending judgment. And he was encouraging them to trust God, but they would not listen. And so Isaiah prophesied that they would be taken off into captivity just like the northern tribe had already been taken off in 722 B.C. And that was bad news for Judah, that they were going to be taken into exile, they were going to be taken into captivity. But Isaiah was not done there. He gives them good news as well. He says, listen, when you go into captivity, God is still going to be with you and that God still can be trusted. And even though He is allowing your enemies to capture you, God is all-powerful and He will release their grip on you. This is all so confusing for Judah as they're hearing this prophecy from Isaiah. I mean, if God is really all-powerful, then why were the enemies winning? How, how could they possibly take them captive? How could Judah be taken captive? God's chosen people, if God were so powerful, how could this be? Listen to how God responds in Isaiah 41, verse 21. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Isaiah 41, verse 21. And he effectively mocks the false gods. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, declare what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come forward or to come afterwards, that we may know that You are gods. Indeed, do good and evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. Behold, You are of no account, and Your works amount to nothing. He who chooses You is an abomination. I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, he will call on My name, and he will come upon rulers as upon mortar, even as the potter treads clay." Who has declared this from the beginning that we might know? Or from former times that we may say, He is right. Surely there was no one who declared. There was no one who promised. There was no one who heard your words. Formerly I said to Zion, Behold, here they are. And to Jerusalem, I will give a messenger of good news. But when I look, there is no one. And there is no counselor among them. Who, if I ask, can give an answer? And here's how, here's how he finally indicts these false gods. Verse 29, Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. Friends, that is our God today. 
These gods of this world, these superpowers of this world are no match for our God. God does not tremble at any of the gods or the rulers of this world. And so He, like He does for the enemies of Judah, mocks them. He mocks the gods of this world. So where are you? Bring your case before. Show me what's good and evil. Show me what's happened long time ago. Reveal all that's going to happen in the future. God's saying, listen, Judah, yes, I'm going to send you into captivity, as we see in Daniel. actually takes place. But I'm still there, and I'm still in control. It may feel like there are other religions in our day that seem to be working, and that the godless nations are surviving and even thriving and are not being judged as they should. It may feel like the people of God are losing. But friends, we serve the true God. We serve the Creator, the Sustainer, the Savior, and no one compares to our God. He is the revealer of mysteries. He is wisdom. And because we serve the true God, we must faithfully depend upon Him. Daniel's dependence upon God is seen in a number of ways in this passage. In Daniel 2, he's unrattled at the pressures of the situation even in the sentence of death. Why? Because he knows that God is in control and that he can depend on God in prayer even if God brings about adverse circumstances, even his death. Even if God says, no, I'm not going to reveal the dream to you, Daniel. Even if God says, no, you're not going to be as healthy as the other boys who are eating the king's meat and drinking his wine. You're not going to be that healthy and you're going to be killed. Daniel is still willing to serve the true and living God and unwilling to be assimilated into the culture because he acknowledges God's greatness and he depends upon Him in prayer. See, because God is in control, because God is the revealer of mysteries, because God is unlike any other, we can depend upon Him. We must depend upon Him. So Daniel glorifies God as God does reveal the dream to him. Daniel is a man who depends upon God. God alone is the revealer of mysteries. No one compares to our God. And therefore, we must depend upon Him even in the face of great pressure. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled before You today as we reflect on Your power, Your control over all things, Lord, we ask for Your forgiveness. We look at the gods of this world and the, the rulers of this world and the societies of this world that seem to have everything in their grasp and things are, seem to be going as they please. We acknowledge that You alone are in control of all things and You allow the kings to rise and to fall. You turn their hearts whatever way You wish. Just like You turn the channels of the, the river no big thing for you to turn the heart of a king like you will do here in Daniel chapter 4 with King Nebuchadnezzar. This man who was the emperor, the most powerful king in the entire world, ruled over all. And you brought him to his knees because you can control the hearts of kings. And Lord, so we look at that in our day and recognize that you can control the hearts of our kings. You can control the hearts of our bosses. 
people that we have conflicts with and that are causing us pressure and, and trouble, we can trust that You are in control because You know what's going to happen. You've even planned all these things just as You planned the death of our Savior. And you did it to bring about much good for us. Lord, when we look at the cross, we think about what a great sacrifice that You made in giving Your Son for us. great sacrifice that He made in giving His life for us. And when You show us Your love in that great way, how can we question Your love and Your care for us in any other way? Because You've shown us in such a great way at the cross. How will You not also with Him freely give us all things? Lord, help us to depend upon You more trust You in the circumstances of life and that we would not fear the rulers and the gods of this world, but that we would ultimately fear You and tremble before You and tremble at Your Word and be humble and contrite of heart. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.